let's uh, let's open up prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you for your your graciousness to us, enabling us to to come together to worship you, to to learn about your word, and and God, just to learn about your faithfulness in preserving your word, and making sure that we have uh, your instruction to us, so that we can live lives that are pleasing to you so that we know the way of salvation and uh, God I just pray that as we continue to study these things that you would uh, just open our minds to understand them uh, that you would enable us to perhaps remember some of these things so that when we're talking to people they uh, challenge the truthfulness of, of what we believe that we would be ready with an answer uh, for the hope that we have in us and that we would just be able to demonstrate that um, that what we believe is not wishful thinking, but that it is um, it is a very reasonable thing to believe. And uh, Lord, just that it is the truth. It is the the actual reality. Um, that you are real, and that you um, that you have a demand on each of us as your creatures, and uh, that we are answerable for how we respond to that. So God, I just just pray that you would bless this time and that you would be honored in all things. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we are continuing our study of how we got the Bible. Um, there was some people here that were missing last week, so hopefully the continuous nature of this study won't jar you too much. Um, and I think that at least the audio is up on the website, so that uh, you, can, you can try to catch up. But anyway, so we're going to continue our discussion of the of the corruption and restoration of the text of the Bible. Um, so we've been talking specifically about the New Testament, um, and we spent some time talking about the copying, uh, the way that that was done, kind of some of the things that went on there. And then we started talking about... Um, the corruption and the restoration. Primarily, we've been focusing on the corruptions. What what types of things happened in the corruption of the text? Um, of course, I, I definitely want to keep pairing that with the restoration so that you don't think, oh, well, the Bible's just corrupt. We can't know what it means. We can't, we can't know what it actually says. Um, there's We have great ways of, of uh, getting back to the, uh, to, the, to the actual wording of the Bible. So we're going to see that as we go. But hopefully as we're looking at some of the mistakes that were made in copying it, you kind of see that it should be fairly obvious in a lot of cases um, what the right answer is, what the what the correct reading should be. I do want to review just a little bit, because um, we've talked about how there's a large number of variants. Um, and I know last week I brought up uh, Bart Herman. Um, He's a very famous scholar, has had a great deal of influence in people attacking the Word of God today, um, just in the books that he's published and the, the presentations he's made on, on the, the radio and so forth. Um, and so we definitely need to be prepared to deal with the types of arguments that Bart Ehrman will throw at us because all sorts of unbelievers are going to be parroting those types of, uh, those types of, uh, of arguments. And I, we had the quote last time um, that uh, there are more variations among our manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament, is what Barbara says. And that's a true statement, but it doesn't really matter 
because we have to ask the question, what variants actually matter? They have to be meaningful, they have to have some impact on the meaning of the text, um, and they have to be viable, uh, where there is um, some chance that it is an original reading. Um, and that cuts out the vast majority of them. Um, it's estimated that only about 1,500 to 2,000 variants are actually meaningful and viable, so that's less than 1% of the variants. So when he says, oh, well, there's more variants than there are words in the New Testament, well, that's not, that's not really the case. When you look at it from which ones are actually meaningful and viable, uh, at worst, it's about one variant in every 70 words. Um, but Bart Ehrman is never going to put it in those terms because he wants to persuade you to not trust the Bible. And uh, no major Christian doctrines depend on these variants. And we are going to talk more about that most likely today. Um, and there's the, there's the quote that uh, Bart Ehrman gives you. So when we left off last time, we were talking about what types of mistakes did scribes make? Um, so, uh, and the question also is, were they accidental or were they deliberate? And Bart Ehrman will make the case that very many of them were deliberate. And the reality is some of them probably were deliberate. It's a little hard to necessarily pin that down. We're going to talk about that as we go. Uh, but the vast majority of them were accidental because for the most part, they were just trying to copy what was in front of them and not make mistakes uh, and not change what was there. Um, and one that we talked about last time uh, is in 1 Timothy 3.16, and I was disappointed that I didn't I didn't get together where you could actually see the way it looks in the Greek. Well, this, I don't know how clear that is. Is that, can you guys see that on there? Um, that's actually just like snipped right out of a fourth century manuscript. Uh, the top one is, uh, is basically he or he who, um, and the bottom one is an abbreviated form of the os. Uh, and you can see that the only difference is there's a little line in the first letter and, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little line over the two letters on that to tell you that it's an abbreviation. So instead of an omicron, it's a theta, and they put a mark over it to say this is an abbreviation of the word the word thaos. And so you can see this is the type of thing that could very easily happen simply by accident, especially if you guys remember when we passed out the, the types of materials that they will be writing on, um, they're not like smooth white paper like we're used to today. Um, they had lines and marks because it's animal skins or the fibers of a papyrus plant. Um, so very easy for lines to appear when they're not actually there or to be hidden in the, in the line of the material. So this is something where um, there's actually some debate. Is, was this a deliberate change or was this a... Uh, um, an accidental change. And um, some people present it as clearly one, and some people present it as clearly the other. Bart Ehrman will point to this and say, well, this is clearly a deliberate change. Um, but he seems to have no reason for that other than the fact that it has theological significance. Is this calling Jesus God, or is it not? And so for Bart Ehrman, um, it's like, oh, well, clearly they wanted to try to change the text to try to make it say that Jesus is God. Um, and so that's what would have motivated it. But then um, other scholars like uh, Bruce Metzger, for example, look at this and say, oh, well, 
pretty clearly, you know, this is, it, it looks like this was probably a mistake that was made simply because it was unclear what word was written there. Um, and there's a fair amount of debate about which is actually the correct reading. Uh, what's over on the left is what we have in the ESV with he, uh, but people have certainly made good cases for God as being the, the original reading that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy. So, but despite of, you know, whichever it is, it's, it's, a, it's a nice example of where you could very easily make a mistake just on the matter of can you actually read the words? Is the, is the handwriting clear enough for you? Um, let's see, and we talked about this one uh, just briefly. Uh, this is a, an instance where uh, the endings of, uh, let's see, the end of verse 14 and the end of uh, verse 15, let's see here, no, sorry, <coughs> the end of verse 14 and verse 16 are basically identical, and so it's very easy for a scribe to have been looking at, you know, at the original, at the exemplar, um, and then he looked over and copied, and then his eyes went back, and his eyes found verse 16. He's like, well, that's what I just copied, and he moved on to verse 17. So that's kind of review. Um, oh, I guess there's one more review. Um, and let's see if the Greek comes through here. Um, Chase pointed me to something that, that made it very easy for me to put the Greek in here, so thank you very much for that. Um, and... Uh, so I don't know. Maybe Pastor Rick, can you pronounce those those words for us? Lusantai and Lusantai. Yeah, sounds the same, right? So this is an example of if you have somebody that's you know up in the front of the room reading the text, and you've got a group of scribes that are each trying to make their own copy. So you're doing a mass production copy, um, and you read the word, and the scribe just has to like guess which one of those words is it because um, they sound the same um, and so and like they both make perfect sense they're both theologically true it's not actually going to change anything in Christian doctrine uh, but it's that's one of the types of mistakes that people made was uh, mistakes of hearing okay so now um, where we haven't been to um, sometimes uh, they had uh, word order differences um, and Greek word, word order definitely works different than it does in English. A lot of times it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Um, I did my best to try to give uh, an English version of, of what we actually have here. But this is a, a real variant where you have three different readings for Mark 1.5. It's Mark 1.5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. So... Um, the, uh, the the Greek there is actually like we have manuscripts that have each of those, uh, but it's basically in English it's all were being baptized or, or uh, all and were being baptized and were being baptized all and all were being baptized. So you know no no real difference. I mean it, word order does have some difference in in Greek but it's not going to be anything significant. But it's very common for people to just kind of scramble the word order a little bit when they're copying. Um, you know, if they were being super careful, then hopefully they're, like, looking at it word by word, letter by letter. But sometimes, you know, it's like you're copying a long manuscript. You're going you're gonna to look at a phrase, and you're going to copy it over, and you might accidentally, in your head, switch the word order um, a little bit before you actually copy it down. So that's something that definitely happened. Um, again, if people have copied stuff by hand, 
you're probably going to have experienced these types of things um, by yourself. Another one, um, I suppose you might call this dyslexia. Um, this is something that happens, again, when we're doing stuff in English. Um, it's just a, a transposition of letters. Um, and I blew this up really big so that hopefully you can see. What's, what's the difference between those two Greek words there? I mean, you may not necessarily know the letters, but you should be able to see what happened. Yeah, this, this, is a, this is a lambda and that's a beta. Yeah, and they're just swapped around, right? Yeah, they just, you know, it's something that can very easily happen. Um, and sometimes that makes nonsense words. In this case, it actually made a real word. So um, you actually have the, the difference here between, uh, and some began to spit on him. This is obviously talking about when Jesus was, uh, was on trial and being mistreated. Uh, some of the, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows, versus, and the guards threw him with blows. Um, I don't think there's even a footnote in most Bibles because nobody really thinks through is the right word. But we do have at least one manuscript that has the word through, uh, presumably just because somebody just flipped the letters around. So um, pretty, pretty straightforward and simple one there. And again, if I'm going too fast or people have questions or comments, just please jump in. Um, Let's see, now this is a really interesting one here. <clears throat> this is Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Um, and the way it reads in the ESV, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and uh, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But some manuscripts... In verse 14, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, you'd have to look at that and say, well, either a scribe added the phrase through his blood or a scribe accidentally deleted the phrase through his blood. Does anybody have any notion of why this might have happened. Why we have some manuscripts that read one way and one, some manuscripts that read the other. No ideas. Okay. Well, this is this is what's referred to as parallel corruption. Assuming that scholars, and scholars are pretty well agreed on why this happened, but assuming that scholars are correct, this is an example of parallel corruption. Um, and I think I just went to the wrong spot. Where's my... There we go. Going the right way. Um, so Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now that looks really similar, doesn't it? Okay, now... Depends on like what perspective you're coming from. You might say, oh, well... The scribe just really wanted to make everything in the Bible sound the same, so he wanted to make Colossians sound more like Ephesians. Um, and that's the type of argument that Bart Ehrman would make. I don't know that he would actually make this in this particular case, but like if you look at his types of arguments, those are the types of things he would, he would make. He would say, oh, well, you couldn't have just like accidentally, accidentally done this, so this has to be somebody just deliberately trying to change the text for their own motives. 
but the reality is, and I think that like as Reformed Christians, we should probably understand this. We're very confessional. We um, we read creeds and catechisms um, during the worship service. We're very familiar with memorizing scripture and having scripture being read as part of the, the worship service. Now, if you're used to that, week in and week out in your worship, and say you're very used to the way Ephesians reads, and then you're reading Colossians, and you don't remember that like the phrasing that's in your head came from Ephesians, but you're copying out Colossians, and you're like, wait a second, I know this says through his blood. I mean, we, just, like, we recite this all the time in church. Um, I, the scribe must have, the previous scribe, the previous copyist must have just dropped this off. I think it probably needs to go back in here. Or you might even do it unconsciously in some cases, where it's just like, you're just used to it. It's like, uh, in whom we have redemption. It's like, oh yeah, I know I know this one. you just like, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Um, and you just write it out. Um, there are multiple examples of what we call parallel corruption, where you have um, where you have passages in various places in the Bible that are similar but not identical, and there's a tendency over time for, for scribes to make them more identical. Um, and again, you can come at it from the perspective of, oh, well, they're just trying to they're just trying to change what the Bible says. But it's just very easy, I think, to understand that uh, people can just accidentally do this just because they're used to the way that it's worded uh, just from the repetition of Scripture that we have in worship. So, any thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. You know, the thing that's interesting about that argument about they're trying to change the Bible, Mm -hmm. if we were really trying to change the Bible, then why would we footnote these changes in... That's you true. know, in the margins and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It just, yeah. it doesn't really seem to fit the, the argument. Yeah, yeah, and that really goes to, uh, again, I, I mean, I, I really do pick on Bart Ehrman, but I mean, it's like he is kind of the basis for almost all the arguments you hear these days. Um, uh, and I'm hoping I don't just lose the point I was going to make. Um, restate what you just did. Oh, I, I just was saying, if we were trying to hide something, if right. we were trying to change the text... We wouldn't footnote these changes in the margins and stuff. Right, yeah. yeah. He, he likes to present it as if like the people who are in the know are trying to hide it from the everyday Christians so that you know that everyday Christians are all ignorant about these things and keep on believing things that aren't true. Uh, but the reality is, is like if Christians were concerned with truth, and so we put all this data out there. We put it in the footnotes. We make sure it's like you know. It's like, hey, this is the data we have. Uh, we're not trying to hide anything, um, and that that goes against like Bart Ehrman's whole view of what you know Christians are trying to do. Now, I guess I, I should admit that there are some Christians that do kind of do that. That they um, they don't want you to be exposed to uh, different ideas. They want to just make sure that you have just one perspective. Um, the the King James only uh, perspective. I don't know if you. How many of you guys have heard of that? That's It's something that's going away more and more over time. Uh, just the idea that the King James Version of the Bible is the only true Bible, and all the others are just all corruptions. Um, they're, the, they're the type of group that will try to like hide this information from you um, because they think it's all just uh, deceptions of the devil. But if we're actually just concerned about the truth 
and we want to like look at what the evidence is, see where it leads, then yeah, we're gonna put the footnotes, we're gonna show this stuff, um, we're gonna make it very accessible so that everybody can see, look, these are, these are the mistakes that are made, it's perfectly reasonable for these mistakes to have been made. People weren't just deliberately trying to alter uh, what the scriptures say. Um, and we can trust the transmission of the Bible. Um, another um, example that we have here actually kind of goes into kind of proving that like this has always been the way Christians have viewed things. As, uh, as attempting to preserve as much as possible and not just make things um, fit a preconceived notion. So here, we're, we're actually going to look at three variants uh, of, this, um, of this passage here. Uh, three different readings you have, but I just want to start by looking at two. So this is Colossians 1.12. Uh, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then uh, some manuscripts say, giving thanks to the Father who has called you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, uh, one thing that, like, if you think of the transmission, the copying of the Bible, just in terms of, like, the telephone game, where it's just, you're just going down a straight line, um, you know, you're going to have a completely wrong view. The fact is that these scribes, when they were copying, they were often looking at multiple manuscripts. They were they were aware of the fact that people can make mistakes when they copy manuscripts, and they were doing their best to try to get the the proper reading in the copy they would make. And they really had a tendency where if they saw a difference between manuscripts and they weren't sure which was the right one, they would just put both in. And so we have at least one manuscript that says, giving thanks to the Father who has called and qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so presumably, a, a, a scribe was looking at it, was like, well, I've got qualified, I've got called, I'm just going to put them both in, make sure that I don't lose anything that's actually included in, um, in what Paul, uh, Paul said in Colossians. So definitely there's a, there's a tendency to preserve things. That was the first Amplified Bible. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If any of you have not seen the Amplified Bible, it very much is a has a tendency to like just pile on words just to like give you lots of synonyms for stuff. So it does kind of look that way. Um, okay, let's look at the next variant. Again, this is kind of connected, um, and I'm gonna again see if anybody can guess what's going on. Um, it's a it's a little bit of a long variant. I'm I'm gonna just back up and start reading in verse two. This is John chapter five, beginning in verse two. Uh, now uh, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool uh, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five uh, five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And that's what we have in the ESV. Now, some manuscripts um, add in um, or have extra there, beginning partway through verse 3. I'll just back up 
in verse 3. Uh, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Uh, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever diseases he had. And then it just continues on with the, the story of the one man uh, there. Now, that's a pretty significant variant. Um, anybody have any notion what might have happened here? And we don't actually know what happened here, but we've got a pretty good speculation. Any thoughts? We know that the ESV chose the shorter reading. Nope, nobody wants to, nobody wants to jump in there? Okay. Um, the fact is we have a statement here um, in verse 7 that's a little bit like, what is, what is he talking about? Why is he saying, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water is stirred? And so people might be reading that and they're like, well, what, what's that talking about? I want an explanation. Um, and sometimes uh, when people would have manuscripts, they would put a marginal note that would be an explanation, basically like a commentary on some particular passage that's a little bit hard to understand. Um, but the thing is, is when a, and I actually, I guess I should show you this. Here's an example of a Greek manuscript with a marginal note. And so you've got the text over here, and then off to the side, I guess I should have adjusted the projector a little bit because it's running off the, running off the wall. But, um, but you can see there, there's a, there's a note that's just written there in the margin. Now, sometimes those notes were just like a commentary. They were like a note telling you something. Sometimes those notes were actually when the scribe made a mistake when he was copying and realized it later. Now think about it. Your, your parchment is expensive, okay? You've only got so many pages. You're supposed to be copying this. You're copying it by hand. You don't have a word processor. Um, you know, you realize you forgot something. You get to the end of the page, you look back, it's like, oh, I forgot a line. You, you can't just like, you know, paste it in there and have it all shift down like you can on a computer. It's like, you gotta get it in there and it's like, am I gonna, am I gonna use a whole new uh, sheet of parchment to write this out? And it's like, I, I guess I need to just write this in the margin. And that's what scribes would do. They would write it in the margin to indicate, okay, this line should have been in here as well. Now, when later, um, when later scribes are copying and they see a marginal note, sometimes it's not 100% clear whether it's supposed to be commentary, whether it's something they accidentally left out and so they put it in the margin. Um, and so the prevailing notion with this is that that's what happened here, that somebody wrote a marginal note to try to explain what happened and then a scribe later saw the marginal note and thought, oh, they must have accidentally left that out of the text. I better include it in the text. Um, and again, there's there's this tendency that we see among scribes to try to preserve everything, to not accidentally leave anything out of what's in the Word of God. And so if they're not sure, they have a tendency to just include it, to just put it in there. So there's a, uh, at least that's, a, that's the consensus um, at this current time, is that that's what happened here, is that, um, you just had an explanatory, an, an 
an explanation, marginal note, that wound up getting put in the text. Now we do know for a fact that sometimes um, scribes did pick these notes up and put them in the text. We actually have pretty clear proof of that. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Um, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Um, and then some manuscripts have for us to receive. But then we also have a manuscript that says, for us to receive, it was thus found in many copies. Now, nobody thinks that Paul wrote, it was thus found in many copies. It's, it's a, I mean, it's basically just absolutely clear that a scribe saw the for us to receive and, you know, was looking at multiple copies. And so he included the for us to receive and then put a marginal note. It was thus found in many copies. And then some other scribe saw the it was thus found in many copies. And it's like, oh, that's part of the text and included it. Um, which is like, it, it just doesn't even make sense in what's being said there. But that's just a, an example that we have, that somebody pulled in a marginal note and put it in the text. Um, but I mean, you're never going to see that in your Bible because nobody thinks that that was what Paul actually said. Um, let's see here. Another type of variant we have. Now this is, well, um, I'll just read it here. Uh, Mark uh, 1, 2 through 3. Uh, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Uh, but then some manuscripts say, As it is written in the prophets, and then continues with the quote. So instead of, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, it says, As it is written in the prophets. Now, does anybody have any idea what might have happened here? I bet you Pastor Rick knows this one. Anybody else have any idea what happened? Well, my best guess would, for something like this would be it's the person who's uh, copying this says in the prophets, but they know well specifically in Isaiah, so put in Isaiah. Okay, that's a that's definitely a very real possibility. Um, one thing that I didn't give you all the information here is that if you if you look at where he says, "Behold." I send my messenger before you. It's actually not found in Isaiah. Um, and actually, I, I should have included that because I don't remember now. Is that in Micah, maybe? Malachi? I don't remember now. I think it's Malachi. I okay. think. Um, but if you look at the whole passage, um, he's actually pulling from multiple places. And if you go back and you listen to uh, Pastor Rick's sermon um, on this passage, he brings that out, that... Mark is quoting from multiple uh, places. He starts with the with the Malachi uh, quotation, but he includes uh, Isaiah forty something. I don't. I should have put that information down, but um, but he's quoting from multiple places. And as Pastor pointed out, then it's very common for you to just take like kind of the major prophet that's being quoted and just use that to include the whole group of them. Now, when you know that. What else might have happened? So what what Mark said 
made perfect sense if you didn't have that information. But now that you have that information, well, if I've said in reverse, basically, it's like, oh, I know this isn't Isaiah. Right? Yeah, it's like, oh, well, this this isn't this isn't Isaiah, or at least at least it's not exclusively Isaiah. This looks like, um, you know, uh, an error in the Bible. I better fix this. Now we could be. Uh, like Bart Ehrman and say, oh, well, clearly they're just trying to fix errors in the Bible. Um, or we could say, well, maybe that's what happened. Or maybe they thought the earlier scribe must have made a mistake when he wrote Isaiah. Um, so we, we should be very careful about just assuming bad motives on the part of the scribes. Because they were aware that people made scribal mistakes and sometimes they would try to fix them because they thought genu genuinely Somebody just made a mistake. So they could have easily looked at this and said, oh, somebody must have made a mistake when they wrote Isaiah. I'm just going to change it to in the prophets. That's um, it's possible that they were just like, it's like, oh, well, I don't care what it actually said. Um, I'm going to just make it sound more correct. Uh, we just don't know. We can't get into the, into the minds of the, of the scribes uh, to that level. Uh, but... It very much seems that what's going on is that somebody along the line changed it to in the prophets, uh, just because that seemed to be more consistent with the quotation that was there. Um, and so that's the type that you do see that um, with various variants in the New Testament, is that people would make changes uh, that basically are trying to correct something. Now, again, whether they're trying to correct the word of God, or whether they're just trying to correct what they think are likely copyist errors, um, it's hard to say. But you do see that type of, of variant occur. Now I've got another one. Okay, go ahead. Well, going back to what's already been said, we we now look back at all of these things, and we're trying to find the best, what we think is the, the original word of God. Right. And we have explanations for why it wouldn't be just Isaiah the prophet. Like, mm -hmm. Bart Ehrman, it's like, we're, we're, A, we're putting all this stuff out there, as Frank said, and B, there's explanations for all these mm -hmm. quote-unquote errors right. that people might have been trying to correct. Yeah, yeah, there, there are explanations. Um, and, but, and, and Bart Ehrman knows that there are explanations, but he's trying to sell something. Um, so he's not going to present it that way. He's going to present it as if everything is trying to be covered up um, and that it's all just a big sham, because he wants to persuade people to not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So, very consistent in what we see with Bart Ehrman. Now, here's another one that's, this is a really rare type of variant, um, but it's, uh, it's one of the most interesting variants, so I just had to include it. Um, now, this is from Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 23 through 38, and I didn't put the whole thing there because it would be just way too much to put on the screen. Um, but um, we are assuming that in, um, in some manuscript, somebody put the genealogy of Christ in two columns, where they just ran down one column, and then they went up to the top, and they ran down the other column. And we think that that's what happened because... A later scribe, who probably couldn't read Greek but was copying it, um, just copied right across, <laughs> which led to some really bad theology. Uh, 
you can see, I mean, it starts off kind of bad, but then it goes to um, uh, the son of Amenadab, the son of God, the son of Admin. So God is the <laughs> son of Admin. So uh, pretty, pretty big mistake there. Um, I, I just have to assume that they actually had somebody who could make the Greek letters, but didn't actually know what they were reading. And they just, it's like they just copied the letters over. So I mean, that's a that's just one little odd variant, and nobody is at all fooled by that one. But uh, that's always just a, an entertaining one. Okay, so we've been talking about what types of mistakes did the scribes make, accidental or deliberate. So we've kind of talked about uh, the deliberate stuff a little bit. Um, again, the one we just looked at there um, from uh, Mark chapter 1. I think we can say that that was, technically speaking, a deliberate change. But we don't necessarily want to say that that was um, a deliberate, malicious change. It could have been simply a, I'm just trying to fix what a copyist, uh, what, what a copy, what the previous scribe, the, his copyist error, trying to fix that. Um, so you have a number of things where they're trying to fix something that they think was probably just a copy error. Um, but you do have some that are a little bit, uh, a little bit different. Um, we have Luke um, chapter two, and there's a whole bunch of variants running from verses uh, 33 through 48. Um, and you should be able to see a pattern here. Um, in verse 33, you have, and his father and his mother uh, marveled at what was uh, said about him. And uh, we have a variant that says, and Joseph and his mother marveled. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem. Verse uh, 41, the other way, uh, now Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem. Verse 43, um, uh, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, or Joseph and his mother didn't know it. Um, verse 48, uh, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you. Or, behold, we have been searching for you. Now, what's going on here? It seems like uh, the term father, in uh, reference to Joseph, is, mm -hmm. uh, is being attempted to be either taken away or added in mm -hmm. to, I mean, I would assume to denote that, okay, God is his heavenly father, or is mm -hmm. his father. Mm -hmm. um, while Joseph was his parent, right. he did not father him. Right, right, yeah. So um, it looks like this is, has a great deal to do with the virgin birth, right? I mean, you could, you could go either way, um, and you could say, well, this is original, and you could say somebody was trying to insert the virgin birth into the text of the Bible. Or you could say this was original and somebody was trying to pull the virgin birth out of the Bible. Or you could say this is original and somebody's trying to simply protect the idea of the virgin birth. Right? I think those are kind of your three options. I don't know if anybody has any, any others. Um, I'll say the other being one shorter, and it could be just shorthand, or not shorthand, but instead of Joseph and Mary, his parents, and it's right. making it quicker. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a possibility as well. 
Um, especially if, you know, I mean, you could do that accidentally where you're just like, you know, Joseph, Joseph and his mother and you just, you go to copy it and you just, you just his parents, yeah, that's, that's what I read, right? His parents. Um, I mean, that could happen as well. So it could be an accidental one. Um, I think um, most likely this was deliberate. This is, this is kind of like the big example of where most likely this was a deliberate change where somebody was really trying to change stuff. Um, and um, it's pretty well agreed that what we have here on the left is what's original. Um, and most likely what was going on was somebody was trying to protect the baby of Christ, or sorry, the, the virgin birth of Christ. They were looking at it and they just read those things and they're like, it just doesn't, doesn't seem to fit with the virgin birth of Christ. I think maybe we ought to correct that. Now, this is, this is an abnormal type of thing. It's just, I wanna give you an example of this did happen from time to time. Most of the time people did not make deliberate theological changes. But occasionally we do have examples of that. Um, and that's probably what was going on. But one thing that you have to understand is um, question, Christian doctrine. Do these variants change the doctrines of Christianity? You look at that passage we just looked at, and if you don't know anything else, you might look at that and say, oh, well, if we go with one, we have the virgin birth of Christ, and we go with the other, we don't have the virgin birth of Christ. Well, what, what book is that in? What was I have to go back now. It's in Luke. It's in Luke. Now, if you're familiar with Luke, did Luke originally teach the virgin birth? Um, it's like, oh, well, that's the question, right? Uh, depending on which way you read it. Uh, well, you just go over to Luke 134. Um, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Um, and uh, let's see. All of our manuscripts say this. We have no textual variants that are trying to get rid of um, of Mary mentioning that she's a virgin when she's going to become pregnant with Jesus. So if somebody was trying to delete the virgin birth from the Gospel of Luke, um, you know, if we were going that way, um, they did a really bad job because they missed the really big verse that, that teaches it. Um, and if somebody uh, was inventing the virgin birth, well, then why don't we have copies of Luke that don't include this. Um, the reality is, it's like the virgin birth is taught clearly in all of our copies of the Gospel of Luke. It's just somebody somewhere along the line probably looked at that passage and said, um, yeah, that doesn't seem to fit the virgin birth. We should probably fix that. And they shouldn't have done that. But again, that's the that's kind of the, the odd thing out. But what we'll see with all of our doctrines is that there are passages that have textual variants that do affect a doctrine in that passage. But the major doctrines of Christianity are taught so many times across so many passages that you can always find some other passage with no textual variants that teaches the exact same doctrine. It's really never a question. Um, did the Bible originally teach that Christ is God? I mean, that's a big question, right? That's a that's a huge 
um, doctrinal point for Christianity. I mean, we look here at 1 Timothy 3.16. We talked about that one. Well, if the the doctrine of the deity of Christ was completely dependent on nothing but 1 Timothy 3.16, and there's a textual variant there, then we might be kind of concerned. Well, maybe maybe he's not really God. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but we have... John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and contextually the word is Jesus so Jesus is God Jesus was God according to this passage and all of our manuscripts say that we don't have any textual variants that say Jesus was not God John chapter 20 verse 28 Thomas answered him my Lord and my God speaking to Jesus all of our manuscripts say that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, uh, beginning of it there. Uh, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So that's God the Father speaking to Jesus, speaking to the Son, and he's saying, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. All of our manuscripts say this. Um, there, there's just, it's like, the, the thing is, is like if you will listen to Bart Ehrman, he will he will just go on and on about how it's like, well, these variants really matter. They affect they affect doctrine. They affect the meaning of the text. And in a sense, he's correct. They do affect the meaning of that text. I mean, when you're looking at First Timothy three sixteen. What's the right answer? That's going to affect the meaning of the text. What was Paul trying to say in 1 Timothy 3.16? So, Barterman is correct. It does affect the meaning, and so it's important that we try to wrestle with these things and try to figure out what the correct uh, reading is. But, um, oops, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, but, uh, it doesn't affect the doctrines, because even if there's some question in some of these passages. Um, we can always just go to other passages for any important Christian doctrine and show the Bible teaches this. We have no variance. Um, there's there's really no question about any of the major Christian doctrines because of this. Well, and it 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 does affect it if you take just that passage, like you're saying. But in a sense. If you're taking the context of the entire scripture, mm -hmm. it is to find that he is Christ, Christ is God. Mm -hmm. As long as you take that full context, it doesn't change it. Okay, you're talking about in, in uh, 1 Timothy 3.16? Yes. When you're talking he mm -hmm. being Christ, mm -hmm. and we already know that he is God, that capital H, it doesn't affect whether it says he or God because we know from the context of Scripture that he, being Christ, already is God. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. So, But the, the, but the, the question is, is like, what is, what is Paul trying to, to say in this particular passage? Is he trying to bring out the fact that God was manifested in the flesh? Um, or, I mean, I guess, I guess in a sense, even... Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't even change that much when you know that Jesus is God. So, um, But it, it can have in various passages. So this is probably a bad example. There are places where the variant uh, will actually make a substantial difference in the meaning of the text. So yeah, you are actually correct. In this particular passage, 
really doesn't make that much difference. Um, as long as you're taking the whole Bible message that he is God, then yeah, he being manifested in the flesh is the same as saying God is manifested in the flesh. But there are passages where it is going to make a substantial difference in our interpretation of one particular passage uh, based on you know what variant we actually go with. Um, but um, but even in the places where it does that and it has um, bearing on um, a major Christian doctrine, we can always go to some other passage. Um, Bart Ehrman will not tell you about the whole context of the Bible and all the passages that teach these things. Um, he's going to focus on any passage he can where it's like, well, if you read it differently um, and you just ignore the rest of the Bible, then you can you can try to you know change Christian doctrine based on these things. Um, but and, and although I think that like if you really press him and you ask him like overall is any Christian doctrine in doubt based on textual variants, I think he would actually say no, not not really. Um, but again, he's he's got something he wants to sell. He's um, I, I made the the. Uh, Analogy earlier of, of like a, a used car salesman, where they're you know they're just not telling you the whole story. Um, unfortunately, Bart Urban tends to present his material in that way. But yeah, good point. Any any other thoughts or or questions about that? Okay, well, we're almost out of time, but let's just let's just talk just a little bit about reconstructing the text. We're gonna we're gonna continue this topic next week. Um, but when we're when we're reconstructing the text, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you want to look at um, and that scholars look at when they're trying to figure out what's the uh, what's the original reading. Um, one is you look at external evidence. Um, so what's the date of the manuscript that you're looking at? Generally speaking, <coughs> the older the manuscript the more likely to be the correct reading. The newer the manuscript, the more opportunity it's had for copyist errors to, to creep in. Now that's a really simplistic way of looking at it. It's not actually, you can't just do a mathematical formula that way, um, but uh, that's, that's something that weights things. Um, you tend to put more value on the older manuscripts. Um, you also have ge geographical distribution, which that has to do with when you find readings in multiple manuscripts. And if you find readings that are, um, you know, if you have reading A and you find it in a whole bunch of different places where you, you find manuscripts in all sorts of places around the world and they all say this one thing and then you go to this one tiny little region and you find a manuscript that reads differently, um, then it's going to be weighted towards the reading that is spread out over the larger geographical area, just because there's going to be more of a chance um, that if somebody copies something wrong, that like, well, people are only going to be reproducing that error in the area where they're having it, whereas when it's spread out, it's probably because um, you know, the right reading just went to all these various places. And if somebody makes a mistake in one of these other places, it takes a lot of extra work to like start cross-contaminating 
um, and get the 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 variant, the incorrect variant, spread out over a big geographical area. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but hopefully that's that makes sense. That one of the things that's looked at is if you have a reading with a big geographical distribution, that's more favorable than a reading that you only find in one particular spot. Um, you also have genealogical relationships. Now that can be a little bit hard to parse out, but to some degree they can look at manuscripts and try to trace um, to some degree like, okay, uh, it looks like this was copied from this. I mean, that's a really simplistic view of it. It's And it's really complicated just because of, uh, even though we have thousands of manuscripts, it's still lots of manuscripts have been lost over the centuries. So we, you know, we have lots of missing pieces in trying to piece together the the copying of the of the New Testament over the years. Uh, but when when they can try to figure out to some degree that there's a genealogical relationship between multiple manuscripts, uh, then that gives them again some notion about what's correct and what's not. And so if you have all of these manuscripts over here that are like kind of one uh, that are connected to each other through copying, and then you have this other group, they're all connected together through copying, you have this other group and they're all connected together through copying, and then you have, and you look at it, look at it across groups, and you have two of the groups that agree with each other and another group that doesn't, well then you're more likely to think, okay, the two, the two that don't seem to be genealogically related to each other, they don't seem to have copying history together, but they agree, is more likely to have the right reading. Whereas the one that was like, well, they were all just kind of copying each other here, then that single reading is more likely to be the one that's an error. Um, again, none of these are just like cut and dried. They're just like things that are pointers that help us to try to figure things out. Um, and then when we look at the internal evidence, um, we ask questions like, what would the author likely have written? Uh, what would a scribe likely have changed? Um, and basically, which reading best explains the others? So, uh, you know, what would the author likely have written? I mean, if you just look at the context, you just look at like when you know you're studying, you know, one of Peter's epistles, and you're like, okay, what what types of things is he typically saying? What types of vocabulary words is he typically using? And if you have a variant, and one of them just seems very in line with what Peter is typically saying and another one just seems like really odd for Peter to have said, well then it's gonna weight it towards, okay, this seems more consistent with what you would expect Peter to say. Again, that's not absolute. Sometimes Peter's gonna say things that are just a little different than what he said elsewhere. Um, and so you can't just exclude that because of that. But again, it throws weight in one direction. Um, what would a scribe likely have changed? A lot of the things we've been looking at here, whereas like, what are the types of errors people tend to make when they're copying? Um, so you look at it, it's like, well, what what would they likely have changed? Well, you know, if if we see something where you have two lines that you know that have just a group of words together that look the same, um, you know, then it's very easy to see a scribe just skipping a line. I mean, that's just something that we're very used to that type of thing happening, even when we're copying, um, and when we see that type of thing. Um, in the New Testament manuscripts, then we're say, okay, it would make sense for the scribe to, when he's copying, to skip a line. So, 
you're asking the question, what would a scribe likely have changed? Um, and then it's just, yeah, which reading best explains the others? If you're looking at multiple readings, you just look at it and say, okay, well, we say this is the original, and here's an explanation for how this other variant showed up. Whereas if you try to do it the other way, say, well, if we say this is the original, and we try to say how did this reading show up, we don't really have an explanation. So it's like, which direction can I go and provide an explanation for how we wound up with two different readings? Um, that is kind of in a nutshell how we do the reconstruction text. We're gonna, again, we're gonna talk about that in more detail next week, but I think that's a good stopping spot. Any, yes? I was just gonna say with the external evidence, mm -hmm. lots of times you find that in the footnotes of your Bible. So mm -hmm. you might see something that says something like, uh, some older texts mm -hmm. give this variant, mm -hmm. or uh, this, 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 and this manuscript say this. Mm -hmm. You know, so they'll sometimes note those things, and that's what they mean. They're talking about that kind of external evidence in the yeah. footnotes. So. Yeah, absolutely. They will. They will. Uh, sometimes your footnotes will give you some notion of of dates. You know, sometimes you'll see. I mean, one thing I see is like um, some late manuscripts say this. You know, and the idea is that, like they're. It's like we've got this whole tradition of manuscripts that say, you know, A, but then we've got a few late manuscripts, you know, ones that, that you know, came towards the, the end of the time that people were hand-copying manuscripts. We've got a few of those that have this. And so they're, you know, they're mentioning it, telling you, here's a variant, but it's just a few late manuscripts. So, but yeah, it's, it does actually give you a little extra information rather than just simply saying, well, some manuscripts say this other thing. Some, you know, sometimes they do give you that extra information. So, yeah, good point. Any other, any other thoughts or questions? All right, well, let's, uh, let's close the prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, what a, a treasure it is. Um, Lord, we thank you that you have preserved it through the generations. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have convicted uh, your people that it is um, just very important to, to try really hard to copy it accurately, to uh, present all the data in our modern translations, to, to just be upfront and open about everything. Because, Lord, we really want to know um, not just what our tradition says we should believe your word says, but, Lord, we want to know what your word actually says. You have inspired it. Uh, it is perfect in every way. And God, we want to have as close a representation of what you actually said as, as humanly possible. God, we just thank you for all the, all the tools that you have given us that enable us to have such a reliable uh, version of your word with us. And uh, God, I just pray that we would, we would love your word, that we would love you, and just seek to glorify you in all things. Right, Christ.